Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. We begin our program, which is dedicated to our own Nina Serrano, with one of her poems, which pushes for some humane immigration policies. Today's program also features Nina Serrano in conversation with playwright Carlos Barron, as well as Julieta Kuznir, who speaks with muralist Juan Alicia about the Maestra piece, book release, highlighting the murals of the women's building in San Francisco. We also lost two great musicians this past couple of weeks, Spanish singer and songwriter Camilo Sesto and Celso Piña, Mexican singer and composer y el rebelde del acordeón. We'll be playing some of their songs tonight. La Raza Chronicles is produced by Nina Serrano, Julieta Cusnir, and myself, Brenda Yescas. Stay tuned. Welcome, immigrant children. Bienvenidos. We are deeply sorry that our tax dollars, controlled by corporate elites, drove you from your family and your homeland. We open our hearts, our arms, our nurseries, our schools, our playgrounds, our sports fields, our youth programs, our after-school programs for your healthy development for your growing minds, for your creative spirits. Welcome, children. May you find safe beds, affectionate adults to guide you, nutritious food, toys and tools to stretch your imagination. Children are born to be happy. May you fulfill your dreams. You just heard a poem by Nina Serrano. KPFA and La Raza Chronicles' own Nina Serrano turned 85 this month. Through her long and productive creative life, she has contributed to the arts world, as well as committed herself to environmental justice 
and international solidarity with people's struggles around the world. We would like to recognize her for her work to bring more love, justice, and humanity to this sometimes cruel world. Here at Cronicas de la Raza, we would like to publicly honor Nina Serrano for her writing, theater, and movement work. Thank you for 85 years on this planet, adding joy and inspiration wherever you go. We love you, Nina. Please go to ninaserrano.com to find out more about Nina's work and publications. Up next is Nina's interview with playwright Carlos Barron. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. My guest in the studio today is Carlos Barón. He's a playwright, a poet, a journalist, an essayist, an actor, a theater director, and an all-around community artist and international artist born in Chile, who I had the pleasure of meeting soon after he arrived at graduate school at UC Berkeley. I think it was 1970. Actually, even earlier than that, it was late 60s. Carlos created a wonderful cultural community and has been part of that cultural community for almost 50 years. I know, I know. Time flies for sure. (laughs) Well, I hope you brought a lot of different things with you so that people could see your range Well, I brought memories, also some additions of what I've I've done over the years, because you're right, I mean, I've been all over the place. I I co-founded La Peña in Berkeley, actually, and I was the first performing arts coordinator at the Mission Cultural Center. And I had a group, Teatro Latino, for seven years, theater, and then when I moved to San Francisco State, where I taught for 30 years, I, I had something called Rainbow Theater, where we did multicultural theater. So from all those years, I I, I brought a a little bit of poetry, a little bit of prose, anecdotes, even this tomato that you just gave me reminded me of an amazing anecdote that I had in Cuba. So I I tried to uh, bring those uh, things that happened in the moments and times into a possible creative act. So whatever you want to talk about or... Well, I just want to tell people that not only have you been doing all this for the last 50 years, but you're currently continuing as a columnist for El Tecolote, the neighborhood bilingual newspaper that comes out in 15,000 copies twice a month. So that's a lot of readers. Yes. As soon as I retired, I thought to myself, where am I going to find that uh, captive audience, (laughs) (laughs) the students? You know, where will my pearls of wisdom go? <laughs> so I figured that I would uh, start writing. So I went and I uh, I offered myself to the people at Tecolote, and I only asked in retribution that they publish me regularly so that they don't edit me out this week because there is something else. No, because it would force me to continue writing, continue being in contact. Wonderful. So let's hear a little of what you brought. Okay. I'm going to read a piece, actually, that I also published in Tecolote recently, but I first read it on top of a truck here in in Berkeley in 1976. And it's called The Mural. And it was for a mural that was on Adeline Street uh, by Daniel Galvez about farm workers. And this poem, I, uh, I will say a little bit more about it after I read it. But I wanted to write something about the essence of what is a mural. 
the mural. There's no admission price standing between us and these colors. There are no frames other than the sky, the rain, the sun, the people, the polluted air. There is no guard demanding not to touch, not to stare too long, not to lean against, not to piss on it. Is this a work of art? Where are the precautions? Where the insurance companies? Where is the silence that goes hand in hand with that art that hangs in museums? Is this a work of art? Oh, yes, it is a work of art. Like us, brothers and sisters, these images on the wall have come to live among us, to hang out in the neighborhood, to take risks with us, to grow old and wrinkled, to die among us. This museum is not open from nine to five. This museum is always open, always free, always generous, like true love wants to be. Is this a work of art? <laughs> you better believe it. This is what it all came from. Go ask the cave people. Marvelous poem. It certainly stood the test of time, 1976, and it's just as true today. Thank you. I think of my mom, uh, who also loved this poem, and she's passed now for about uh, four years or so. And uh, she would say, you have to get this muralist to put it on the wall. Oh, and I've been trying to do it. <laughs> well, that would be great <laughs> to get it on Balmy Alley. I, I gave it to Presita Eyes Muralist, and they tell me they read it every time there's people coming in. Oh, re listen to this poem. But I haven't heard that they're going to actually put it on the wall. Sometimes when I went to Washington to see years ago to meet with my compadre René Castro and the Letelier brothers. All and, famous and, uh, Chilean muralists. And they were painting a, a mural about Chile. And one of my phrases, again, extemporaneous phrases, also made it into a mural, something about un pueblo sin murales es un pueblo desmuralizado. So a people without murals is a demoralized people, right? And they like it. I like that stuff, you know. Yes. So share some more of your work. Okay. This is actually something about my great-grandmother. It's interesting how I taught storytelling also for about, again, 30 years. And, and there I found the, the power of the ancestor, the idea that uh, our ancestor definitely informed who we are. And if we peruse in, in the past, we will find someone who will inform you directly, indirectly, somehow you will say, okay, that person uh, marks a particular quality in my life. My great-grandmother was an illit illiterate peasant uh, from the south of Chile, Margarita Gonzalez. And she was even picked up and charmed by this guy who was passing by on a horse and, and, and asked her to follow him, and she jumped on the back of the, the horse, and they went to Santiago. And, of course, my great-great-grandfather, as soon as he heard this, went after them, and they had a shotgun wedding, uh, literally a shotgun wedding, because he took his shotgun with him. But anyway, this illiterate peasant, her own daughter became a teacher, my grandmother, and taught her mother to read and write. Then my mother became a teacher, I became a teacher, and my kids now are also teachers in the San Francisco Unified School District. So the tradition started 
you know, because I had a great strength in her, never mind that she couldn't read or write, but she also was, I would say, kept down by her religiosity or, or the fear, I guess, that she had to, to die, or I think it's fear to live as well. And she had a, a little room next to the bathroom, and I saw her every night, and she was about to pray. She would let her hair down and, and then take her false teeth out of her mouth, put it in a glass of water. So I, I, I remember that, and that was a scary image. And then she would come to my room and, and, and say, Okay, Carlitos, reza tu rezo. And so I never went to church, really, but I had to do a little prayer every night for her, a little short one, right? So I wrote a poem for her. It's a short poem. It's called Great Grandmother Who Art in Heaven. The teeth of Margarita Gonzalez flash a distorted yellow-green through the glass in which they sleep at night. Margarita, 84, unties her tomato-shaped crown and a gray cascade descends down her shoulders without noise. Without noise, I peek through the semi-open door, fascinated by the contortions of the toothless face. As she loses herself in the monotony of her nightly prayer. Jesus bleeds on her night table, flanked by the melting tears of two candles. Two potato peels hang on to her temples. Stubbornly, stubbornly, Margarita hangs on to her hopes of an afterlife. Oh, now I see why the tomato reminded you of this. <laughs> well, uh, in part. Uh, the, the tomato that uh, you just gave me at the beginning of the session reminded me of Cuba, actually. You know, uh, oh, tell that oh, story. It's, uh, well, it was just the beginning of the so-called periodo especial. The special you know, period. The special period when... Uh, Russian, the, the Russian had abandoned Cuba all of a sudden. You know, no more uh, money, no, nothing, nothing whatsoever. So Cubans, all of a sudden, they were down at the level of all Latin American countries making do, except with a great education and great health facilities and all that. But the, the, the so-called paladares, paladares is the restaurants were beginning to appear. There were private uh, houses that would serve food and with the more or less acquiescence of, of the, the government and, until it became more accepted. So this day in particular, I, I said to myself, today nobody will know that I'm not a Cuban because everybody would know I wasn't Cuban from a long distance. As a matter of fact, I think in Chile, people don't think I'm from Chile. You know, I don't look like your typical Latino, quote-unquote. But anyway, I walk out with my Chinese bike, and trying to look dressed like a Cuban, and immediately some guy about half a block away says, "Hey, would you like to buy something?" He was trying to sell me some stuff. Anyway, we we I bought something. I defeated. I said, "Okay, well, tell me a couple of cigars." And he said, "Oh, great! I have money." And all of a sudden, the the, the generous Cuban came out and said, "Have you had lunch?" "No, well, I treat you." So <laughs> he, he treated me with my money, right? So it took me to some some paladar, some some house where this is the great greatest paladar, greatest restaurant in in the, in the whole Havana Vieja, all Havana. So come with me. And we go in there, and a couple of kids playing dominoes in front, and 
And he said, hey, where is Doña, Doña Angela? Doña, hey, it's inside, Doña Angela. Doña Angela, hey, we have a customer, a very important person who came all the way from Chile and San Francisco. Come on, come on, come on. Doña Angela comes. Oh, yeah, como esta? Buenas tardes. Come in, come in, come in. And he proceeds to serve us a nice chicken. And, and we are changing anecdotes. And, and all of a sudden, she walks away for a second and comes back with a hand behind her back and smile. And she says, you are in luck. I said, why? Because I have this. That is a very rare thing in Cuba today. I said, what is that? The guy is looking at me, the, my, 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 my host. You see, I told you, I told you. And she brings her hand from behind her back, and she has a tomato on her hand. You know, and she said, did you see? See this tomato? Isn't it great? Well, I got it today. We're going to cut it in four pieces. That we're all going to eat tomatoes today. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. How yeah. wonderful. And, you know, this tomato has a history something like that. Because here at KPFA, where the staff is both paid and unpaid, so and even the people that are paid could never be paid enough for what they're doing, we're all doing it for love. And so very often when I go up to the kitchen area, there are beautiful gifts of love that people have brought from their gardens and from their trees. And so when I went up today to get you some water, there in the kitchen was a whole array of gorgeous tomatoes. And I must say that the most beautiful one is the one that I picked for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to eat it later. I haven't had lunch, so this is perfect. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. So read us more. Okay. You're a great storyteller, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. I love how you switch from voice to voice so flawlessly without inserting any narration in between. It's skillful and beautiful <clears throat> and switching languages flawlessly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's practice, but also... The power of bilingualism, and just uh, the fact that acting is what I like the best in performing, but because the, the destiny has been the way it has been, is what I've done the least. You know, I haven't acted as much as I wanted to. You know, oh, uh, that is such a shame. You're yeah, really a great actor. Thank you. You know, I was at the beginning of the Berkeley Repertory Theater. I was acting with the Berkeley Rep. You should in, get back there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I tried. I tried. They they did a piece about uh, the Black Panthers just uh, a little while ago, uh -huh. and I went to audition. So I'm a shoo-in. I was there, you know. But uh, they picked, uh, and Wilma Bonet also auditioned. And oh. remember, she was uh, definitely a shoo-in for this play about Puerto Rican brown berets and Black Panthers. But we were a little bit too old for the. <laughs> oh, I know all about being too oh, old. Yeah, say, uh, but you know, when I went to see a show. It was a great show, and I'm glad I didn't do it. Because there was so much physicality. It was a play about people from the 60s, but they were done by people from the 80s. So, I mean, it's Oh, like <laughs> so, yeah. And especially women have changed so much from the 60s to the 80s. Like, actresses today are acrobats and sports heroes. I mean, they lift weights. And the idea of what's beautiful in an actress is no longer a soft, rounded person. No, no it's a vigorous, strong, bold body that can do all kinds of physical things. That yeah, I think there was more physicality in, in theater in general in, in the past. And participation of women definitely 
was larger even in pre-Columbian uh, cultural activities, you know, the, during the days of uh, song and flower, uh, women were central, you know, in, in creating the atmosphere, the, the costuming and being participants. And I, I always think that, to me, uh, an actor, an actress, is that his, his best or her best, or, you know, when she's willing to be at, at her ugliest, you know, when, when she really does what must be done, get down and, and, and be nasty or or sweet commits totally but you need to dare to dare to be ugly anyway i, I was thinking about maybe sharing um thinking about paulo neruda you know, paulo neruda from chile the chilean poet has marked also my own life you know you may try to avoid him some people say no too much influence but it's it's like a father or, or like a mountain you need to go around it you need to go over it or through it you know, in order to go to the other side. I so. think it's like Walt, Walt Whitman for American poets. Yeah, and they were very much connected. Neruda was an admirer of Walt Whitman. Yeah, you can try to put them down, you can try to dismiss them, but they're going to creep into your language and into your consciousness. Uh, totally, totally, uh, absolutely. So I, I try to diminish a little bit the, the influence or, or make something different. So he wrote, you know, wrote about, Odes, the, the so-called odes, odas, odes to simple things, odes to everything. He wrote odes to watermelons, to the smell of rain, to the uh, uh, the sh- shoes, to socks. He wrote to everything. So I wrote an ode. I remember, and, uh, I'm going to joke a little bit with the idea of the odes, and I wrote something called odes to your armpits. <laughs> 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 and... Uh, a friend of mine, we spent New Year's Eve a long time ago, and then she stayed over. We were not a couple, so she stayed over there, and I stayed over here. But the next morning, the first day of the New Year, she came, and ah, she stretched, and she was just dressed with a little T-shirt. And when she stretched her hands behind her back, she had a very, very hairy armpits, and it was like an amazing sight, you know, and somehow it it inspired me to write this particular poem. Ode to your armpits. Yesterday you gave me your armpits, or rather, you introduced them to me. You looked straight into my eyes, the image of a soft challenge, a semi-nude pose on your body, a semi-smile dancing on your face, a semi-mischief shining in your eyes, semi-anticipating what was about to appear. As if they were curtains of a theater hall, you slowly raise your brown arms and, crossing your hands behind your nape, gave me your pair of hairy girls, shameless, luscious, shadowy, Aromatic, tempting your armpits. Nice to meet you. I imagined you as a child, a daring and playful little girl coming nearer with a tight fist full of mystery that would suddenly open before my boyish face, letting a captive spider run away, trying to scare me, checking if I would scream or cry testing if I deserve to be your friend. Mm-hmm. Your armpits came out 
the, the way the moon comes out from behind the hills, the way the sound of the ocean comes out at night, the way lovers go out to get in trouble, the way sometimes poetry comes out to possess us. That is how your armpits came out. They came out to invite me. Isn't it true? Uh-huh, to smell them, touch them, kiss them, calm them, to sink myself in their soft and warm moss, to lose myself or to find myself in their movie house darkness. Your armpits were two servings of kelp, two coquettish belly dancers, two exotic mollusks, two passports, to infinity, two seashells, two step ladders to heaven, two erotic verses. Your armpits wrote this poem. Thank you, Carlos Baron. This has been just a marvelous session, and I hope you'll come back to KPFA and share more of your wonderful work. Basta con llorar, con ponerme de rodillas y pedirte perdón y con hablarte de mi amor para que decidas volver otra vez. Sé que es difícil compartir los días y las noches, pero sé que me quieres. Como yo te quiero a ti, ¿por qué debemos sufrir? ¿Por qué debemos sufrir? Si yo no es por quien te añoro, si río es porque le temo al vacío, lucho por estar contigo. Y que te duele tanto a ti como a mí Y el dolor te hace perder la razón No me importa pedirte perdón, perdón Si lloro es porque te lloro Si río es porque le tengo You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. Today, we are very lucky to have one of the Bay Area's and the world's most important muralist, Juana Alicia, who is not only an incredible muralist, but she's also a storyteller through her art. Juana Alicia, thank you so much for taking the time out, sitting down and chatting with us about your projects. Well, thank you, Julieta. It's always a pleasure to be on La Raza Chronicles or any other KPFA program. 
So Juan Alicia, right now we are at this point where people are honoring and looking back and really examining all the effort and energy that went into the incredible murals that can be found on the Women's Building in San Francisco. They're murals that span the whole world in terms of the stories and also the different struggles that they highlight. These murals are now the subject of Maestra piece, uh, San Francisco's Monumental Feminist Mural, which is a book, a beautiful book that is a coffee table book with a ton of photos and a lot of great poetry and insight and incredible writings from the likes of people like Angela Davis. And this beautiful project is now going to be released to the world. So we're really excited to talk to you about it, but let's take a step back. This was a really exciting time. You, along with other incredible women artists that have dedicated themselves to justice work through art, came together to work on this big project, which was the Women's Building. Take us there and tell us a little bit about the birth of this amazing project. Yes, thank you, Julieta. We were an arranged marriage, seven women who applied to the Women's Building and a, a committee to be selected to paint a mural on the Women's Building, one that was imagined to be a small section of the facade on 18th Street. But the seven of us who were selected by the committee were myself, Miranda Bergman, Edith Boone, Susan Cervantes, Mira Desai, Yvonne Littleton, and Irene Perez. And when we sat down together to create the designs for the mural, Maestra Piece, we realized that we had over 100 years of mural painting experience between the seven of us and that we should consider actually covering the whole building with murals, with a, a monumental mural. Uh, so we made a proposal to the Women's Building in 1993 to do both uh, five-story facades, the one on 18th Street between Valencia and Guerrero and the one on Lapage uh, Street, which is like a small alley right around the corner from 18th Street. So the cover of this beautiful book that really is a masterpiece in itself, it's one of the many images people think about when they think about the murals on the women's building, which is Rigoberta Menchu's face and all these wonderful images that come out on her, the textile she's wearing are also movement struggles and connect so many stories. So why don't you tell us about that specific image, along with uh, maybe perhaps another frame to give people a sense of the scope of these murals? Okay, well, thank you for citing the cover image. It's one of the crowning images on the mural. There's two crowning images, one on the 18th Street side up at five stories high, the goddess of the light which is a pregnant woman with a female fetus in her belly. And in that image, her amniotic fluid is giving way to rivers of water that turn into the 43 cultures of textile patterns that we've depicted there. And then the image that you referred to on the cover of the book is Rigoberta Menchu Tum, who is the Guatemalan human rights campaigner and social justice warrior. And she is holding in her hands two very important deities, female deities. When we look at the mural on the left is the image of the Orisha of West African tradition, Yemaya. And on the right, the Mexican moon goddess from the Mexica tradition, Coyoshauki. 
So in the image of Rigoberta, we, her earrings have the Nobel Peace Medal on them, but we changed the three fig, dancing figures to female figures from male figures. Her voice is resounding over the rooftops of the mission. She is emitting a speech scroll, a traditional speech scroll from pre-Columbian iconography, and she's speaking to the world about the power of, and the healing power of women's wisdom. Her huipil, her traditional Guatemalan Mayan shirt is, or blouse, it's really a tapestry of uh, typical images from her uh, region, and all of those images of animals and life uh, depict a story. And then the Orisha Yemaya is the goddess of the, or the deity of the, she was originally the deity of the sweet waters in Africa, but when the Middle Passage happened and the violence ensued, people that were taken on the slave ships often threw their, themselves over the side of the slave ships into her arms instead of facing a fate worse than death, which was slavery. And she came to represent the seven oceans as well. She has seven necklaces, and we're seven women. The Pleiades constellation is above the head of uh, Rigoberta Menchu. On the other side, from Irene Perez's powerful work about Koyo Shauki, she has reassembled the goddess who was cut into pieces and thrown into the sky in the pre-Columbian story, but here she, she is remembered. That's the voice of Juana Alicia. She is talking about Maestra Peace, not just the incredible murals on the Women's Building in San Francisco, but also this beautiful book produced by Heyday Press. Because it's so incredible to hear you tell the stories. I mean, I always stare at these images and I walk around and the Women's Building is one of my favorite places to take people and just to go. And I feel like it's, I, I learn so much every time I look at it. But what really has been missing for me is what you're describing, which is the context. Not everyone has all of this context. And that's something that's so beautiful that people can learn more about through this book. So why don't you walk us through some of the pieces that make up this book? What I'm impressed with is that it's not just the story of how the murals came together and how you all shaped them, but it also includes incredible art, poetry from people like Alice Walker and others and Devorah Major, people who are incredibly loved all over the world for their contributions for basically telling a more complete story of the world and and sharing art that really helps us understand our lived experience. So tell us about some of the pieces of this book, yes. because it is it is very complete. Yes. Thank you, Julieta. Yeah, let me just give you a short tour of the book. It begins with a beautiful poem dedicated to, to the mural and to the artists called When the Time Comes by Alice Walker. And we have the honor of including Sandra Cisneros, Leticia Hernandez, Naomi Quinones, Poet Laureate Devora Major of San Francisco, Jenny Lim, seven women poets that are included in the, throughout the book in different parts. And the book starts with uh, Angela Davis's erudite and very beautifully written uh, story of the mural. So for art historians, for people who just want to know our story, they can read her account of the whole process. And then um, we give you a tour of the mural, um, sort of breaking down all of the 
components on both facades, both five-story facades, and on the interior because we extended the mural into the interior in 2010. And so you can see the mural in its entirety and in pieces, and there's a narrative so that you can read the stories as you walk through the virtual tour in the book. And then the centerpiece of the book is uh, the creation of the mural, and it shows our whole process. It shows the original mural that was there uh, made by artist and um, mujer muralista Patricia Rodriguez, and she gave permission when her mural had sort of deteriorated and the women's building wanted to do a new one. She gave us permission to, to replace her piece. And she continues to be a vibrant member of the Bay Area artistic community. And we thanked her for that. The book centers, like I say, the center part of it is about how the mural was created. And we created it with hundreds of women volunteers, with a big community. It wasn't just the seven of us. We were standing on a lot of people's shoulders and working hand in hand with many, many women. It was all women who created the mural. And then there's a section on the restoration processes and how we worked with teams of um, younger muralists to train them to restore it as well. We restored it fully in 2012. So many younger Bay Area women artists like Kina Romano worked on, on the piece. And then the last part of the book profiles each one of us individual artists and our relationship with each other because we've had a deep, profound family-like relationship since we started the mural. We meet occasionally to have brunch. We've been with each other through births and deaths and divorces and marriages and all kinds of relationships. And it's not just a pretty picture or a painting on a wall, but a network and web of women's uh, relationships that have made this piece beautiful. I'm speaking with Juan Alicia. She's walking us through Maestra Piece, the beautiful book that was just released through Heyday Press that documents and also honors the many stories behind the murals that are on the Women's Building in San Francisco. These are murals that are recognized around the world because they tell stories that are actually hard to find now. Like I, I think in education, many of us want to tell stories that go beyond just the Eurocentric view that most educational structures take. So, you know, there's a fight to try to include a more inclusive storytelling and, and more histories that represent the people in the room. But it's actually really challenging because it takes a mm -hmm. lot of work and a lot of research to not simplify and just give the Cliff Notes simple, almost cartoonish versions of reality. And the women's building, I'm going to just take a direct quote taken from Angela Davis's words, who did an incredible job documenting this in the foreword. She says that these transnational approaches to feminism during this period began to draw attention to the Euro and US-centric versions of feminism and really took account the feminist struggles in the global South and the indigenous and black and women of color feminism within the US issues and many issues that were generally not considered issues of feminism. So for me, what's so interesting about this is how timely and how mm -hmm. urgent it still feels. Like it feels exactly. like it could be written about a breakthrough mural today. So why don't you talk to us about some of the issues that are depicted? Because it's so beautiful to see issues of Mother Earth, issues of uh, different kinds of resources and extraction resources, different 
issues are painted on the mural that feel like you know the Amazon is burning right now. It feels mm-hmm. like this could not be more contemporary. Why don't you make Thank some you. connections and tell us a little bit about how people can see the issues painted on the mural today? Thank you for that, Julieta, because I think that's a very important point. Particularly, I think Angela tapped into the notion of intersectionality and the fact that we were living that intersectionality in 1994 when we created the mural, 93 through 94, even though we didn't have that vocabulary at the time. And what we really wanted to do was to present a very multifaceted set of images about women and their strength and their contributions to the world. And, of course, the issues of immigration, We have all kinds of images of women political prisoners in this country. We have images of living and um, and mythical women from uh, Guanyin, the Buddhist image of compassion, uh, to the Dakini in the section on on Asian women and uh, who cuts off the ego. Uh, we have so many representations of. The, the millions of facets of, of women's identity. We celebrate lesbian love. It, it is a very loving set of images as well. Uh, it's a very positive presentation of what women can do and have done in the world. So yeah, it's very timely right now in this sort of Me Too women, women's movement and Black Lives Matter movement, in the immigration movement that's um, so important right now as as people's rights are being violently violated in this country. So yes, it celebrates all of those things, even though we designed it in 1993. So Juan Alicia, this book that has stories, has history, has, well, her story has so much art and also tells these stories. It's also really beautifully laid out. I mean, it's It's definitely a work of art. It's something you could spend many, 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 many hours going through and pull from for inspiration and also for learning and understanding. Um, so w- tell us about some of the events that you all are organizing or are part of to share this with the world because it is something that, it's something to really honor and it's something to celebrate that this book is being released because if not, I mean, I think that people would only be getting part of the story by seeing the mural. And there are people yeah. that don't live in San Francisco or the Bay Area and would like to be able to see this mural on a more regular basis and have it in their home. Well, that's the beauty of a book. You know, you can't send the building around the world. But, you know, we do have we live in a digital age and anybody all over the world can get the book. It'll be at all online booksellers. The uh, the price will be slightly uh, discounted if you buy it online. But yes, uh, and you can buy the books from Heyday Books or from any online bookseller or at your local booksellers, which is a great idea. And also, we ask the public to encourage their local booksellers to carry the book. Then we'll also be having two other scheduled book launches, one at the public library as part of the Viva celebration for um, Latino Heritage Month or Latinx Heritage Month at the at the library on uh, September 14th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. in the Corette Auditorium. And Jenny Lim and Devorah Major will be reading there. Leticia Hernandez will be reading at the event at the Women's Building. And then on October 8th at the California Historical Society from 6 to 8 p.m., we'll also be having a launch party. So if you don't make one of the first two, you'll, you should make that one. We're also in conversation with the De Young Museum 
to have another launch party there. And if you are interested in hosting a party for the book, please let me know at uh, juanalicia.com or at maestropieceartworks.com. That's our website, maestropieceartworks.com. And there's a whole section on the website about the book. You can also go to Heyday Books, Heyday, yes, heydaybooks.com in order to obtain the book. But please come and party with us because we really want to see our community. We want to sign books for people. And uh, we want to have sort of a love fest with all the people who have supported us because there are many, many people who helped us through the Kickstarter campaign, which KPFA helped us with as well, or featured our, our interviews on. And it was really the public that made this book happen. And I know it was a huge labor of love for you all. It was something that I think it's almost like a duty that many of you all felt because it's mm-hmm. something where if these stories and if these the different parts of the mural were not memorialized in this book, it, there's really no way of really guaranteeing that you'll have control of people understanding the full story of what did it take to make this a reality and what are the different pieces and what do they mean? And also we just never know in terms of 20 years from now, will there be the investment needed to keep up the mural? But this book will be able to keep the stories and keep the legacy alive and strong. So it is a huge, huge labor of love, but also a duty that I'm sure you all felt to really commit yourselves to sharing this very important piece of art. People come from around the world to see the women's building. And this is a way that those stories, the many stories of all the women, um, how many women are featured on the mural? (laughs) Um, I think somewhere around 165. Um, I don't have the book in front of me right now, but some something in that in that nature of numbers. But there are many, many women's names on the mural. I just want to note that the book is dedicated to two very important people in the mural process. One is Delexis Wood, and he was Edith Boone's adopted son, and many of our in the group godson. He passed away two years ago of, of HIV, and he had survived since babyhood when his prognosis was uh, not to live beyond a few years. He was a beautiful person, and he's the only male figure on the mural. Um, we wanted to celebrate the new man, and he's shown in the section on Africa and the African-American legacy. And the other person that the book is dedicated to is Olivia Quevedo, who was um, a Wiccan witch and a spiritual, very spiritual person, originally a Catholic nun, but changed her belief system. And she did all of the calligraphy on the mural, wrote all of the women's names, also inserted some of her own creative ideas like sisters, hermanas, abuelas, future generations. Uh, She was a beautiful woman as well, and she uh, passed away a few years ago. So we wanted to honor both of their legacies by dedicating the book to them. Juan Alicia, why don't you read for us a little bit from the book? Okay, thank you, Julieta. I'd be really pleased to read Alice Walker's poem, a little bit of that anyway, And When the Time Comes, a meditation on the murals of the women's building in San Francisco. And when the time comes, we can say that we honored the beauty the strength, the loving kindness, the formidable grace and fierceness of women, that we saw them clearly in their apparently casual abundance of nurturing, caring, protecting all life, carving out a place for humans that did not at the same time carve up the planet. 
when the time comes, we can say, look at this. Look at what we have done. Here you see the faces and read the names of those who stood together against the endless tidal waves of hatred and destruction, the daily ritual of despair. You see, towering over your head, for instance, so many, many feet high, the proud visage of Rigoberta Menchu, the self-possessed image of Georgia O'Keeffe, the sagacious and knowing look of Dr. Joycelyn Elders, the faces and bodies of goddesses, healers, mystics, saints, warriors, and those who, while they lived, appeared to have grown their courage from the very ground on which they stood. And this, we know, is the truth of it, for it is the earth, the embodied feminine, that we are all standing on. And so it is with gratitude that we thank the artists, our magnificent sisters, for giving us this vision of our diversity and power, our strength and our bodies drenched in light. Those are the words of Alice Walker, read by Juan Alicia, who was put together along with her muralist sisters, um, this beautiful book, Maestra Piece, which chronicles not only the images on the women's building in San Francisco, but also the stories and the impact and the many steps that were taken and just the actual process of, of <laughs> making the mural. So many, many pieces are chronicled in this beautiful book. Juan Alicia, it has been such an honor to have you here in the studios. Your art is really recognized around the world as being art that touches our hearts and also tells stories that are essential to push for a more just world. We also really thank you for this beautiful book that you in collaboration with others created. It's a book that we can have a piece of the murals with us and we can use it to teach our families. We can use it to, in our educational practices, we can use it when we are having sense of despair in these difficult moments. We can look to this mural with all these incredible fighters, these women fighters, who luchadoras who have made so much happen and also who at the core I feel like are really driven by love and there's so much love in the mural and so much love in this book so muchísimas gracias por todo tu trabajo we look forward to hearing more about Maestra Peace and we look forward to chatting with you again gracias Julieta many thanks a bailar con la fuerza de mi
La Raza Chronicles calendar of events and happenings for the Bay Area. For Saturday, September 14th, join vocalist, composer, and band leader Bobby Cespedes for a night of Cuban music, modern, and folkloric grooves at the Freight and Salvage, 2020 Addison Street in Berkeley. Starts at 8 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. For more information, go to thefreight.org. For Sunday, September 15th, Son Jarocho Jam Session. Enjoy a lively evening of Son Jarocho music, dancing, and zapateado. Bring your dance shoes and instruments, or just come and enjoy the music and dance. This is at La Peña Cultural Center, 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. Starts at 8 p.m. 
For more information, go to lapeña.org. Also for Sunday, September 15th, the Calle 24 Latino Cultural District presents the third annual Fiesta de las Américas. La Fiesta de las Américas celebrates the independence of various Latin American countries and commemorates the culture, arts, and music found from Patagonia to the Arctic Circle. It highlights the unique Latino diaspora experience, which has cemented the Latino Cultural District as the center of Latino activism, arts, commerce, and culture in San Francisco since the 1940s. This community event will be held at 24th Street between Folsom and Treat Streets. The event starts at 11 a.m. And for Friday, September 20th, Misión Gráfica Printmaking Studio is pleased to offer prints from their archive. There will also be a panel discussion with Juan Fuentes, Alexandra Bloom, Calixo Robles, Alyssa Aviles, and Lincoln Cushing, moderated by Jesús Barraza. This is at the Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts, 2868 Mission Street. Starts at 7 p.m. For more information on the archive or panel discussion, go to missionculturalcenter.org. And this has been a calendar of events, cultura y arte for the Bay Area. If you would like to add your event to the calendar, email us at larrazachronicles at kpfa.org. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. If you'd like to stay up on our news, like us on Facebook at La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. If you want to hear this program or share it with a friend, you can go to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles and share it. If you have any ideas for interviews we should be doing or would like to get involved with our collective, you can email us at La Raza Chronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. Mm-hmm.